morning, brethren and sisters. For the sake of those who have joined us today and haven't been able to join us in the mornings this week, may I just remind you of the principles which underlie these addresses on Deuteronomy. They are based on the idea that in the book of Deuteronomy there are words which are central and fundamental to the discipleship of Christ. They were spoken a long time ago, measured in human time, but they were not spoken incidentally, they were not spoken dispensationally. They were spoken essentially, they were spoken universally, because they were spoken on the basis of principles which are perpetual and timeless. Things which were true then and things which are true now. Upon that basis, therefore, these addresses are based. So today we are to think about faith. Faith, first of all, descending and then faith at last ascending. There is no doubt, and I think you have no doubt, that in the life of discipleship, faith is a real source of strength. Doubt, doubt has the effect of cramping our energy. Faith has the effect of expanding it. Trust is power. All things are possible to him that believeth. Disciples are called upon to overcome. They are called upon to overcome the forces which apart from God would bring them to doom. When the saints are gathered for the final song upon Mount Zion, the song of triumph, as I've said before, it's not going to be a great bath chair rally, it's not a gathering of the cripples, it's the gathering of those who have triumphed, those who have overcome. As their Lord is victorious, so are they to be. Remember Revelation chapter 3 verse 21, He that overcometh, I would give him to sit down with me in my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father in his throne. So we can mark the quality of the victory as I also overcame. Now it's the Apostle John that fixes for us the power which brings victory. He says, This is the victory which overcometh the world even our faith. And why is that? Well, it's because faith is the assurance of things hoped for by the proving of things not seen. In order to have triumphing faith, you must have the capacity to see the invisible. And according to their vision, men are empowered. And so it was with those heroes and heroines which are catalogued in Hebrews 11. Abraham left a certain city for a land that he'd never seen and which he did not know. He began the journey having no idea where it would lead him. If there had been newspapers in the day of Abraham, no doubt one morning in the Chaldean times there would have been an article which begun like this. Our respective citizen Abraham is leaving us at the end of the week when our correspondent asked him where he was going. He said he did not know he was counselled to take medical advice. <laughs> and so, 
measured by the measured by the uh, moment, uh, by the wisdom of the hour, measured by the wisdom of this world. Men would doubtless say that Abraham was a foolish man to leave that place of stability for a place of instability. Yet Abraham was absolutely sure and Abraham was utterly calm. Now why was he so sure of the unseen land? Because he was so sure of the unseen God. When men see the invisible they do things which blind men would never contemplate. Noah did a very strange thing. He built a big liner in the middle of dry land. They never thought of building the Queen Mary at Coventry because the harbour is a little shallow in summertime. Now if there had been newspapers in the day of Noah, one morning in the Mesopotamian Chronicle uh, there would have been an article or a headline which began like this, The Reverend Noah has gone mad. Because when men see the invisible they are able to do things which other men who cannot see the invisible count strange, even contradictory, even lunatic. Noah was utterly sure of the unseen flood because he was utterly sure of the unseen God. Somehow in his deepest heart he knew that there is a madness which rightly named is the sublimest sanity. Think of the man with the shepherd's crook who turned his back on all the splendor of Egypt because he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Somehow he was sure that there is infinitely more value in Messiah's reproach than in all the honor of Pharaoh. He endured as seeing him who was invisible. He knew this Moses. He knew that sin. It may be pleasant for a while, but it has a very short season that is measured by the calendar of heaven a very short season. Or think of the man of Tarsus. He saw something which his companions never saw. And he was never the same again. He tramped over rough roads, he faced tempests, he endured peril upon peril, more than once barely escaped with his life, because he was utterly sure of his king. He said, I know whom I have believed, he said, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a splendid confession of faith that is. Unshakable faith, and out of it came a life of enduring faithfulness. There's no doubt, faith is power. But brethren and sisters, I think I know what you are thinking. Because I am thinking the same myself. And I believe I am normal. Not many of us, not many of us are able to live at the altitude which we have just been recalling. Not many of us ever get above the snow line. Too often we are in the valley where the day is dull and the saffron is scarce and the stream of life is rancid. 
and faith consequently descends and we think thoughts wrong thoughts and we nurse doubts and we do things which would make us ashamed in the presence of Abraham and Noah and Moses and Paul why does faith descend faith that begins so brightly so earnestly why does it descend why does it get dim why do disciples who were once strong begin to fail and falter well first of all it's no new problem we can be sure of that I can think of two quickly I can think of two sentences from um, the New Testament that tell us it's no new problem ye were running well who did hinder you I have this against thee that thou didst leave thy first love so it was so then just as it is sometimes now why is it well as it appears to me there are divers reasons perhaps as many reasons as there are different kinds of disciples and obviously we cannot think of all the reasons only some and of those some only two one very often faith is assaulted by fear now fear is an insidious thing it saps the strength it weakens the nerve it dilutes the resolution through fear men lose their grip and through fear men lose their optimism high hopes are dashed and loyalty is abandoned through fear just let me remind you of the people of God people called upon to high destiny and high enterprise the people of God as they came to the margin of the good land at Kadesh Barnea they sent spies in to spy out the land and they came back with their intelligence report in preparation for the campaign and as you know they came back with two reports there was a majority report and a minority report and they were almost identical the majority report said in effect it is a good land it flows with milk and honey the grapes are luscious the rivers are beautiful but there are ward cities and giants and we are as grasshoppers in their sight we had better not go let us make a captain and go back to Egypt and the minority report was almost the same it said it's a good land it flows with milk and honey the grapes are luscious the rivers are beautiful it is true there are walled cities and giants and we may look like grasshoppers but the Lord our God will give us this land let us go in and possess it just in passing the difference between the majority report and the minority report was the placing of the little word but 
in the Bible every word is important they said there are walled cities and giants no they said it's a good land but there are walled cities and giants the other said it is a good land there are walled cities and giants but the Lord our God will give us this land well it's to the lasting shame of the people of Israel as you know that they chose the majority report and they chose it because they were afraid it was fear it was fear which was at the root of their failure they were afraid of the forces which were in opposition and in the face of those forces their courage melted away the Hebrew writer says that they were not able to enter in because of unbelief and their unbelief was rooted in their fear it tells us that eroded faith is a barrier to possession now what made their failure so inexcusable as you know is that they had received so much evidence of the invisible God remember faith is the assurance of things hoped for by the proving of things not seen and God had given them abundant proof of his power he had given them outstanding proof of his compassion he had parted the Red Sea and had destroyed their enemies in it he delivered them from Egypt with mighty power and, and with a stretched out arm and here they are with no assurance about his ability to deal with these walled cities and these giants they dare not venture they were afraid to venture even with God they forgot his providential care as I said to you before they they liked the milk and honey but they couldn't forget the garlic and the leeks and the onions it's a strange thing that garlic has come to be the outward sign of an inward disgrace such was the tragedy of descending faith in the people of God they turned back from their high heritage through fear fear of the things that lie ahead and fear of losing the things that lay behind well now discipleship in Deuteronomy here is the issue dare we consult our fears in the light of this ensample of Israel I know the local conditions have now faded and they are changed but the principles remain why do men hold back from venturing in faith with God sometimes through fear through a fear that if they were to act boldly in faith they might expose themselves to some deprivation it might mean the loss of some material advantage or a fear that the difficulties might result in some hardship or some opposition which would hurt them and which they are not ready to endure or a fear that if they declared themselves openly as their faith demands then somehow their reputation would be injured or the fact of acting in faith might mean the repudiation of some relationship or some indulgence which they fear to relinquish or which they long to keep but then there are other fears too fear of weakness the by weakness I mean 
the continual failure to master forces which assault the spirit and crush the soul or fear of the unknown looking into the future and seeing no light or fear of some physical disability some bodily failure some dark problem which no human agency is able to solve fear of the things which are coming on the world fear of violence, fear of evil fear of that perhaps fear that that perhaps which began best will end worse and then there's fear about the mystery of sorrow and pain not only your own pain but fear about the pain and the sorrow of others and then there's fear of death the last enemy not the fear of death itself but the fear of that scrutiny of life which death will bring at the judgment seat of Christ and then there's fear and this is a real fear there is fear my brethren of some upspringing of forces in a man's character which are depraved and degenerate fear of the emergence of something in our personality which is slimy and devilish and hateful now all these fears have the effect of eroding faith and dimming the vision so that at last failure hangs on the heart like an icicle and the soul of a man becomes benumbed well that if you remember it seems a long time ago now that if you remember was the first cause of the failure of faith fear the second one I wanted to draw your attention to is in the Bible called self-corruption I bring you to Deuteronomy chapter 4 Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 25 When thou shalt beget children and children's children and ye shall have been long in the land and shall corrupt yourselves and make a graven image in the form of any thing and shall do that which is evil in the sight of the Lord thy God to provoke him to anger I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over Jordan to possess it ye shall not prolong your days upon it but shall utterly be destroyed and the Lord shall scatter you among the peoples and ye shall be left few in number among the nations whither the Lord shall lead you away and there ye shall serve God's the work of men's hands wood and stone which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell notice the process 
when ye have remained long in the land what and have begun to take its blessings for granted when ye shall corrupt yourselves when ye shall make a graven image when ye shall do evil in the sight of the Lord notice the process of the system the whole process began with self-corruption when ye shall corrupt yourselves now what is self-corruption well here is my definition it is giving or using the powers of your life for something which is lower than the highest and the best it is in fact the first step in backsliding you see when a man takes his eye from what he knows to be the highest and he is satisfied with something lower be the distance ever so small his faith is slightly on the decline it's not a case of having the ideal and believing in the ideal and falling short of the ideal that is one thing that is one problem but that's not self-corruption self-corruption is when a man put something lower as his ideal put something lower as his idea of what God is and what God requires that is to say when he is corrupted he begins to think falsely about God and the next step as the process suggests he is beginning to make a God for himself he is making an image in the words of Moses he is making an image he is making a God after the pattern of his own reduced and diminished ideal and when he does that he becomes like his God and sooner or later he is doing something evil which at the beginning he never dreamt of doing or intended to do and this sad process begins ever so slightly and it begins ever so slightly with the first cooling of the passion the first diminution of um, the enthusiasm the first um, reduction of the loyalty to Christ the accepting of the compromise coming to terms with the sin which doth so easily beset us it's the tragedy of a man who wears all the externalities of discipleship but inwardly he has lost the thrill inwardly he's lost the passion inwardly so help him God is bored with the gospel the devotion which once drove him as become quiescent he's content with this self-invented God because as I said before it's really a projection of himself and his own desires it's God made in his own image now what we ought to be concerned about my brethren is this not that great gulf which exists between God and the man who at last overtly and uncaringly does evil in the sight of the Lord 
not that great gulf. What we ought to be concerned about is the first step on the descending path. The first dimming of the bright faith, the first the first chill wind that blows through a man's life which once was warm, warm with love. Because if that process which begins ever so slightly, if that process goes on unhindered and unchecked, it results at last in that condition which the Hebrew writer calls in the New Testament being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. This is a gloomy address, isn't it? If there were no more to be said on this sad subject, it would be sad indeed. You must think I'm a misery. But there is more to be said, praise God. Deuteronomy 4. Let's read verse 28 again. And there ye shall serve gods, self-made gods, insensate gods they are, gods the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Every word in the Bible is important. Notice the next word. But. But. If from thence. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God thou shalt find him if thou search after him with all thy heart and with all thy soul but if from thence you just think where thence was for these people eventually came to this condition that Moses had forewarned them about people who were mastered by insensate gods who were themselves the people of Yahweh the living God think where they were in uh, eventually in some foreign land far away from Zion in the very heart of idolatry mastered by paganism degenerating they were descending men of vision they were Men of the highest vision they were. Men of noble passions, men of fair ideals. And here they were languishing and lost. How can they sing the songs of Zion in a strange land, scattered, forsaken and despised? But, if from them, 
Well, you don't have to be a genius in Durban to see that this is the agony of broken discipleship wherever it is. Thence is a wonderfully inclusive word. I don't know where thence is for any man. It may be a long way back. It could be. For some soul. In this house. It could be a long way back. Where there seemed to be no hope. Where there seemed to be no possibility of restoration. Where the heart is chilled. and where the soul is hot and fevered. Thence is where that poor wandering boy was eating swine's husks and his spirit was broken. But if from thence, Moses said, and he means there is no situation too hopeless, there is no condition so hard. There is no failure so dark. But if there is a searching for God, he will be found. And being found, he will lift up and be, and lifting up, he will restore. If from thence, wherever you are, if ye shall seek the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with thy whole heart, and with thy whole soul, Thou shalt find him. Discipleship in Deuteronomy. Now there is in the New Testament a word which is the counterpart of thence in Deuteronomy chapter 4. It is in the seventh chapter of the Hebrew letter. Hebrews chapter 7 and it's verse 25 Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 wherefore also he is able to save to the uttermost them that draw near unto God through him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. And the word, of course, is uttermost. That is the equivalent of thence. Because uttermost looks back to the deepest place of failure. Uttermost, well, the word speaks for itself. It's as far as you can go. It breaks through the boundaries. Uttermost, he said. It expresses the power to find the broken ones wherever they are. Uttermost, he said. It, it means that this man's priesthood descends deeper than the deepest sin. It penetrates every barrier. It removes every impediment. 
It heals every wound. It finds the forsaken ones wherever they may be. And though they be fear-filled and sin-laden, never mind. Uttermost, he said. It means he finds them and carries them through the tempest and over the rugged mountain to the place of succor and safety. Over the rugged mountain, did I say? A figure? Listen. How beautiful. Upon the mountain are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings that saith unto Zion thence that saith unto Zion in thence thy God reigneth and because God reigns the broken soul is never forsaken You see, it was at thence that that poor wandering boy came to himself and he said, I will arise and I will go to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned before heaven and against thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. I expect you've noticed he, he was never able to, to finish the sentence he'd resolved and practiced. The sentence was interrupted by the father's embrace and the loving welcome. The boy's plan to be a slave instead of a son was hushed and ended by the ministry of restoration. If from thence... Let's come back, brethren and sisters, to what we were thinking of at first. The fears the fears which rack our soul and twist our hearts the depths of life the suffering and the weakness and the failure the sorrow and the perplexity the frightfulness which fills our hearts with heart failure the mastering power of self which cripple us and, and fill us with foreboding the disappointments the, the fellowship which was once joy filled and is now soured and saddened what can we do as our faith descends and the spirit sinks into depression? What can we do? Well, our next reference is Deuteronomy chapter 33. We've come back at last to the song of Moses. The great song of Moses verse 27 of Deuteronomy chapter 33 all right verse 27 Deuteronomy 33 the eternal God is thy dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms and he thrust out the enemy from before thee and said destroy 
The eternal God is thy dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Now it is that little sentence to which we must now direct our minds and our hearts. Let's, uh, let's just enjoy a bit of exposition. Um, in this sentence the word God the eternal God the word God is the Hebrew word Elohim and in this particular case stands for the unfathomable and immeasurable, immeasurable power of the most high the intensive Hebrew plural word speaking of might and majesty and then there is a difference between the words eternal the eternal God is thy dwelling place and the word everlasting underneath are the everlasting arms there's a difference between eternal and everlasting the word translated eternal is the Hebrew word Gidem and here it has the meaning of being in the front whether it's in place or time being in the front inferentially of course it means the place of the sunrise the place where the day starts it is a word which though it speaks of the forepart it has a way of looking back to the start it would be true I suppose so I understand um, it would be true to the Hebrew meaning of the word to translate it the God of old is thy dwelling place but to use the word old for this Hebrew word would lack one thing it would lack the poetic sense of the word the word eternal and therefore the best way of expressing it is this the God of the beginning is thy dwelling place the God of the morning the God of the morning, that morning when the stars sang together for joy in the mystery of creation. It is saying then that the God who was at the beginning and revealed himself in the power and the glory of his creation, the God of way back is nevertheless the God who is now and near and he is thy dwelling place. The nearness of the great God is discovered and realized as the place where failing men may be at home because he is thy dwelling place now I use the word home deliberately because home is the place as I said to you I think already home is the place where you are at home the place where all fear is banished the place where there is security and rest the place where there is peace and goodwill where you move not by the authority of dogmatism but by the authority of love the place where every door is open for love's sake where you can be true to yourself the place where there is no need of guile or pretense or window dressing at home you are inwardly what you are outwardly or the other way round you are outwardly what you are inwardly now if you think I've overstated it then I want to bring you to a place another place in the Old Testament where this same word dwell 
the eternal God is thy dwelling place where this word dwell is used and it's used again in the sense of being at home with Isaiah 33 remember we're enjoying a bit of exegesis Isaiah 33 verse 14 solemn words from Isaiah the sinners in Zion are afraid trembling hath surprised the godless ones who among us shall dwell with devouring fire who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings now that question that Isaiah asks means who among us shall dwell with everlasting burnings who among us will be at home in the fire who will be able to survive and come out of it better and purer not the sinners in Zion certainly not the sinners in Zion but those who have lived their lives and made them incombustible by the quality of their living gold survives in the fire stubble is destroyed one who is at home with fire is the gold and the other who is consumed is the stubble so you see what I mean dwell there means being at home with being able to live with it and to live through it the everlasting burnings so coming back to Deuteronomy the God of the morning is thy dwelling place the God of the beginning is the God who is with, with, with thee now on the pathway with thee in spite see dwelling dwelling with you dwelling with you in spite of your recurring powerlessness dwelling with you in spite of your faltering steps in spite of your trembling heart the God of the beginning is thy homestead the God who said let there be light the God who divided the water from the water the God who brought life into existence and said let us make man in our image light water life it's the story of discipleship the light of the truth the water of baptism the life of faith this God is thy dwelling place where broken men may find home and then underneath are the everlasting arms the word everlasting seeks to describe the timelessness of God it's the Hebrew word olam it means it means age abiding something which is unchanged by the ages passing through the ages and beyond the ages never touched by the ages violating all the calendars and all the almanacs it means a good example of what it means is in that in that word in Isaiah 9 amongst those names 
conferred upon Emmanuel. He is wonderful counselor, the mighty God, El Gibor, the, the everlasting Father, that is, the Father of eternity, the Father of the vanishing point. The Father of the vanishing point, where the line passes out of sight, the concealed, that which lies beyond the uttermost effort to follow and understand, where thought and imagination are halted, age abiding, something so broad and extensive as to be always outside of human experience and human endeavour, broader than the broadest reaching of human hearts and human hands, deeper than the deepest descending of human frailty, everlasting, the strength unlimited, the enclosing power, the infinite tenderness of God, the God of the morning. And then the word underneath. Underneath are the everlasting arms. This is the only place in the Bible where we find this word translated underneath. Now the Hebrew word is found in other places, I mean other Hebrew writings, and therefore its meaning is not in doubt. It is very simple its meaning, it means bottom just bottom associated with the idea though is the idea of going down descending falling beating down humbling the depths the deepest condition which your imagination or your experience can conceive when you are right down when you are right down in sorrow in anguish in fear in weakness in suffering in failure the lowest level when you said I was never deeper down than now never Now listen, underneath, underneath that, lower than that, are the everlasting arms. Lower than the bottom, beneath that, are the everlasting arms. When faith was at rock bottom, the everlasting arms of God were underneath that. Underneath, underneath life with all its mystery, with all its seeming chance, with its perplexity, with its contradiction. Underneath are the everlasting arms. There's nothing outside the orbit of his will. There is nothing beyond the tenderness of his care. How, what can you say? How can you tell it? There are human syllables are not adequate, brethren and sisters. When we are falling fearfully and sadly, in the last in the last reach of the descent when every support is giving way when no finger is lifted to um, halt our falling when no voice can stay our helplessness when no glance of the eye can any more understand our agony in the moment of our utter weakness in the moment of our final hopelessness we fall and we have fallen into the arms of God cradled by the God of the morning suckered at rock bottom and Moses goes on to proclaim that the God who is our refuge will bring 
to note all the forces which are set on hindering and harming us. He will thrust out the enemy, it said, and say destroy. The forces which are against us and assault us, at last he will say to them destroy, let them be destroyed. It means that fear like a black, uh, like a black raven will drop dead. An old death riding on his pale horse is vanquished. So, discipleship in Deuteronomy, we may take these words of old, these words of Moses, the last words of Moses on the plains of Moab, we may take them to ourselves. He said, Happy art thou, O people of God, who is like unto thee, a people saved by the Lord? So this is the answer to all our fears and all our foreboding. He is in the beginning. The God of the beginning is the beginning of this day and every day. Until the, until the cycle of the running days is over and all the secrets of the ages are revealed. And so my comrades we have come to the end of our talks about Deuteronomy and as you go out of this house today into the streets of the world you go bearing his name and advancing his course and manifesting his discipleship will you because of the things we have talked about together Will you remember that the secret things belong to the Lord your God, but the things which are revealed belong unto you and to your children, that you may do all the words of this law? Will you remember that in the strange and varied experiences of your discipleship, he is leading you like an eagle, he is bearing you on his pinions, so that at last you may, ra you may rise onward and upward and sunward, in the full flush of your new life. And finally, if in the strange and awful ways of failure and weakness you are fearful and you are faltering, underneath your deepest sorrow and underneath your deepest failure are the everlasting arms of the God of the morning. And as you submit yourselves more and more to his will, so the secret things will be discovered and will be rediscovered as your faith increases and so you will rise up into that circle of those who know the king best of all his next of kin those who are called to stand with him and to fight with him until the day is done and the kingdom is come until the day when all the aggregated souls who are his become one in him, the Lamb's wife.